0: Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. Our guest today is Tanya Bhattacharya. Tanya is the founder of Lumos Marketing which is a thought leadership consultancy for social impact entrepreneurs ready to stand out as they stand up for their mission. Her superpower is helping overlooked experts gain clarity in their message, confidence in their voice, and the ability to create powerful content that changes hearts and minds. She consults with a hybrid approach, offering personal brand messaging strategy for LinkedIn with coaching to dismantle imposter syndrome. She also hosts the podcast, The Campfire Circle, which explores the idea of replacing the boardroom table as the ultimate space of leadership with a campfire circle, a a place to share our stories, build community, and spark visionary ideas. Welcome, Tanya.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. I love being here.
0: I'm so happy that you're here. I heard Tanya speak at a virtual conference I attended a few months ago now. And just the way that you spoke about empowering women to drive change at scale and also build community strategically, I thought I have to know her and I have to hear some things about her secret sauce. And I think others will really enjoy this conversation too. So thank you for being here. I read your fabulous bio. And we all know that there's so much more to the story. So I'd love to hear, we'd all love to hear a little bit more about your origin story and how you came to this work and this specific niche yourself.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that question. I love this question. And so often as people who help to draw out stories out of other people, we don't always have the chance to like necessarily share our own. And so I always love that opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think it's all about the origin story. I think that's where where it all starts. And so we were kind of chatting before we got started. And you're right; like we could go all the way back to Baby Tanya. We could go back to like ancestors of Tanya, right? Like we can go so far back. But I guess where I'll just start is where I was at before kind of becoming a consultant, which was at a nonprofit. So I really grew up in the nonprofit community. I worked for a mental health care nonprofit specifically. I worked there for twelve years. So. Even before I graduated college, I was there and and I just kind of stuck around, which you don't hear too often in the nonprofit world, but I really like fell in love with this mission. And what we did at that nonprofit was help women, pregnant women, and women with their children get sober from the, di- the disease of addiction. And there was a lot of stigma associated with that. Like I remember going out to because I was a fundraiser and a marketer. And so I remember going out to places and this was back in like 2009. So I wouldn't, I don't know that this would happen in the same way today, but I would go out to, you know, places to share what we were doing and try to wrestle up support and volunteers and community. And there would be places where people would say, well, why don't they just stop? Right. Why don't they just stop using drugs and alcohol? Or um, like that, just say no mentality was still very pervasive. And People didn't fully understand that addiction was a, a chronic, you know, progressive illness that's diagnosable, that has a series of symptoms. Anyway, there was still a, a misunderstanding around it being like a moral failing, right? And so I saw how powerful stories could be in changing hearts and minds when they were previously like kind of so settled in what they thought. And those stories really came from this process of actually like me sitting down with the women that we served and helping them craft their recovery narratives. One of my biggest responsibilities, I guess you would say, and then joys, was actually drawing out these recovery narratives. And as I did that, I saw how it changed from this like story that was very much rooted in shame and guilt and trauma and pain. And all of that was still tinged in the story, but when we reframed it into one that was really based in their courageous decision to change their life, their resilience, their vision for the future, their whole way of being changed as they told that story, right? Like their body posture changed, you know, their eyes changed. And over time, as they begin to share this new story in the world, like with their families, in their legal situations, if they had one, in their jobs, um, and all the places that they really navigated the world, the way that the world saw them also changed. And so that taught me like it really matters the story that we tell ourselves because the story that we tell ourselves eventually becomes our reality. And then it becomes the way that other people kind of treat us or see us or relate to us. And so fast forward to 2020 where like all the stuff went down at the same time. And I was still working in the nonprofit space. I was an executive director at the time. I sat on different boards, um, national boards and working groups. And I just looked around and I saw how many women were really working in the trenches of their issue. Like they were working so close to it. They were working in direct services. They were, you know, many of them had lived experience in the issues that they were working on, yet they weren't necessarily the ones at the table, right? I, you know, they were in the fray, they were doing the work, but I just kept seeing the same, you know, male, pale and stale leaders on the news, you know, in the traditional spaces of leadership, even though these women that I knew were the ones coming up with these really new, different solutions based on their wisdom, you know, for COVID, for the overdue racial reckoning that was happening, and especially with the severe increase of mental health severity during that time, because that's really the issue I worked on. And so long story short, like that whole process, that whole experience really made me super passionate about really democratizing this thing we call thought leadership so that people with the lived experience, with the wisdom, with the insight, with everything, with the trifecta of knowledge that we should be listening to so they can grow their influence and their recognition over time so we can really move the world closer to a more just future. So that's really what I'm all about doing. And it, you know, I got there from kind of having to go through that experience myself, which I love because I think that so often we are the ones that are really equipped and able to serve the person that we once were, whatever it is that we're doing. And so I think that starting with our origin story is a really good clue to unlocking the thing that we really can be sharing with the world.
0: And improving everything along as, as we go and as a result, because stories move people. And then people move change. And I just so much of what you said, I mean, goosebumps mm-hmm. several times about the power of this work and the power of amplification of voices that are not typically in these spaces. I think we see this very similarly in terms of well, and just in what how you were talking about it now and what I've read before, in terms of I mean, we have to go inward first before you go outward. And I think we like to skip that step because Mm -hmm. that's the hardest step. And so when we talk about storytelling, I think we typically default to thinking about sharing and listening to stories externally, but the power of what is the story that I'm telling myself Mm -hmm. and how is that impacting everything that I do and the way I interpret the world. And I know you talk a lot about and work with your clients in terms of navigating imposter syndrome. And I want to hear a little bit more about how you work through or help others work through that mind trash. And you and I have had a conversation about it even comes up for us sometimes, but how do you navigate that when you're trying to find the confidence of your voice?
1: And your experience, too. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think these imposter thoughts really come up. As I have started talking more vulnerably and authentically about my own experience with this, pretty much everyone I know has raised their hand and said, oh, my gosh, me too. Like, I thought I was the only one really dealing with that in such a significant way. But, you know, I think that these thoughts can come up like – I'll give you some examples. They can come up like, oh, gosh, they asked me to sit on this panel, but I wonder if they were short on candidates or maybe that was just luck. Or or I think a way that it really comes up for women of color specifically is, gosh, I wonder if they just asked me to sit on this panel because they needed a woman of color to sit on this panel, Right. Or, you know, it can come up from this, like, these remnants of when we were fully employed and, like, our supervisors and our bosses didn't necessarily think we had enough gravitas or, like, leadership presence to manage this, like, really visible, prestigious campaign. Like, let's just say, like, in my world, I was in fundraising. Maybe it was a managed capital campaign, right? Even though we were successful... In all of our projects, somebody would mumble something about us not having leadership presence in a performance review, and then that causes us to doubt ourselves, right? Or, you know, we might go into a meeting with some really, I don't know, I'll just say with some VIP people, and they might think that we're the assistant because we happen to be young, we happen to be a woman, we happen to be a person of color, like who knows what's going on in their mind, but we're not acknowledged in the way that we like should be or you know or lastly what i see come up a lot is people would contribute feedback and questions and perspective in a meeting and then other people would feel intimidated by that and tell them that they're not a team player and then they would start to play small and safe and dim their light a little bit and so there's so many experiences that we go through and navigate where we can start to feel like we're the problem because that's what the world makes it feel like. But in actuality, like we were never the problem. It's actually the, the systems that we live in that really color and um, have shaped like our working situation, our family situations, our schools, um, everything, right? Everything, like the way that we navigate the world is so touched by like systemic bias, oppression, aggression, and just different ways of seeing the world. And so if we don't, Like really slow down and take the time to realize that and remember that and and see that um, nothing will make sense and we'll keep thinking that it's our fault. It's different, but it's the same. I saw this a lot in the children that we worked with at the nonprofit that I served because they were parentified into thinking that like the addiction that was going on in their family, like they were they were were, young, right? They were like very young and they didn't have words for it, but they just sort of many times internalized that whatever was going on in their family, which, you know, we now know is this family systemic thing of addiction, they would internalize it and think that it was their fault. And if that wasn't thwarted and like there wasn't an intervention before they grew up and continued to think that over decades of time... They would grow up and have very specific, you know, symptoms when they grew up. And, you know, if you Google adult child of alcoholics or ACOA, you can read all about that. And so it's, it's a different thing, but I see the same kind of thing happen when we navigate the world and the world is just really rooted in... Systemic oppression. You know, Um, we think it's our fault. We think that we're an imposter, or that we don't belong, or that we are not good enough to be in these spaces. When in actuality, they were really built that way. I think. I think on purpose, right? I think on purpose because if we stay small and if we stay fearful to really share our authentic voice, and you know, we don't really want to rock the boat in any kind of way, then the status quo will stay exactly how it is, right? And we won't see that just future that we're dreaming of. And so I think it can show up in a lot of different ways. I think it can show up in just the ways that we navigate the world and so unless we start to tell ourselves a different story, it will it, it can continue. It can continue. Yeah.
0: Does that make sense? Makes so much sense. I love the connections that you made there. And thinking back to when you were saying how Women and often women of color will feel like they've been invited to the table or to the panel because of their surface level identities and the communities that they represent. And I've been having a lot of those similar conversations and especially not just in terms of a speaking engagement, but in in terms of roles like within organizations. I, I really think I was hired to do this because this diversity, equity and inclusion influencing role typically feel like it's it's largely based on how I look and not what I bring. And so that erodes trust in themselves. And it also places this burden like we need to know all of the answers Mm. because we've been placed into this role to solve it. A few episodes ago, I was having a conversation with Kim Desmond. She's the first chief of race and equity for the city of San Diego. And her relationship with how she sees her role and her responsibility it's, its that it's a very healthy version of it that I don't think we have enough of is it's not on my shoulders to solve this. I am a part of the oppressed. I cannot solve this problem. And yet I have influence and I can use it based on my lived experiences. So when people, when women, and especially women of color, are looking to take up more space and find... The motivation there. What are some of the ways in which you work with women to find and source the meaning of why? Why should I show up? Why should I take up more space when it's been a negative experience almost every
1: time? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a really, really great question. And you know, I think there's a couple quotes that I repeat over and over again. And one is by our dear, you know, ancestor, Dr. Maya Angelou, which is really that there's no a uh, uh, greater agony than an untold story inside you. I may have gotten that a little bit wrong, but essentially that's what she, that's, that's her quote. And I think that's so poignant and correct. And we might not even realize it because sometimes we've like disassociated from that like deeper vision, that deeper purpose really coming out. But I think, you know, now more than ever, Like I think that so many of us have these deeper callings that have been like knocking on our heart and like really saying like, now is the time to get out there. And so I think it all starts with the vision. I think it all starts with really getting quiet and having a chance to dream up that future vision that we have and not just necessarily for ourselves because I think this work is cathedral thinking work and I learned that from a book called Good Ancestor which I really love and it's really about the power of like really long-term deep time thinking and it it you know the cathedral thinking thing comes from this concept of people would build cathedrals knowing that they would never actually get to sit inside and look at the final concept, because it just was such a long-term, multi-generational process. And it's the same thing with, I think, many of our visions and our missions that we're trying to accomplish in the world. We're just not going to see them come to fruition. And it's not, and like you said, it's not on us solely to make that happen. Like these big visions only happen in communities. So I think building community is a really big part of this work. But I think it's Another thing is I think it's really important for us to continue to take up more space and be seen and visible doing that because it's really hard to be what you can't see. It's possible. And so many of the women that I look up to did really become what they didn't have role models for necessarily in the mainstream media. And so I think representation and visibility is really important too, because then that next generation of people who are going to pick up that relay race. Like I interviewed Denise Brousseau who um, wrote the book, Do You Want to Be a Thought Leader? Or So You Want to Be a Thought Leader? And she talks about this work as a relay race. Like we're never going to be able to run that relay race on our own. We're just, it's, and we're never, we were never meant to, but if we can package up our expertise and codify it, create frameworks, really put our wisdom and passion out into the universe so other people can pick it up and resonate with it. And essentially like grab that, I don't know what it's called, that little stick, so that they can keep running the relay race, you know, after we're done or so that we can rest if we're burnt out, you know. It's not all up to us. And that's important. And that's important.
0: I hadn't ever heard cathedral thinking before, Mm. but it makes a ton of sense as as a mindset around this work because it does feel impossible sometimes when you think about the span of a lifetime and, and that a typical social movement, effective social movement over time takes about 75 years. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lifetime and you're not starting right from the beginning or you're not aware. And so you spend so much of your life fighting for a thing knowing that you're, it's never going to reach whatever finish line we've de- defined. But we can make progress and we can define what those incremental milestones look like for us. And celebrate those. Celebrate the heck out of
1: them. That's huge. Because,
0: yeah, and the passing of the stick, the
1: baton maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you knew the word. Yes, the baton. Exactly. And celebrating each time that happens, which, which I see as somebody in our community, like, vibing with our message, you know, and maybe sending us a, sending us a DM on LinkedIn and saying like, oh my gosh, like I've never thought about it that way. Like you've really made me think like that is a, that's a little mini baton pass. It doesn't have to look like this like amazing celebration where you're anointing someone with, you know, it can just be the the fact that, oh, like this person is starting to think about my issue now. That's a baton pass, right? And in a relay race, you're only, you're passing the baton to one person. But I think in this case, you're, you're like passing it to as many people as you can. Right?
0: Right. Yeah. And this idea that you don't have to do it alone, honestly. I think that's a that is a big part of the work that you do, not just in working with individuals, but how do we create strategic communities around what we're trying to solve for? And so what are some of the ways in which you think about strategic community building. Yeah.
1: This is so important. I'm so glad that you've asked that question and that you're really talking about that on this pod. I think that so often, you know, people come to me and they say, oh, I want to like really get more visible, like as a, you know, go-to influential person on the platform. But I don't really know if LinkedIn works because I put out all this content and nothing really happens. And I think when that's the case, like what is missing is the community building you've probably heard that phrase, like content is king, right? I don't agree. Like I think content is very important because I think that's how you disseminate your wisdom. I think that's how it gets out of your brain and into the universe. But I think community building is really king or maybe it's queen. Like I think it's just as important if not more, right? It's a real thing. And so again, usually when people feel like they're doing all the right things to like really build their voice and get visible, usually it's the community building that's not happening. And so I'll talk about how we do it. But first, I want to talk about what happens when we do it, like when community is built, like it doesn't feel like we're doing this alone. Social impact work can feel very lonely at times if we don't have a community around us that's hyping us up, celebrating the small wins, celebrating the big wins. And really, sometimes people might say like, oh, but isn't that just like a vanity metric, having all these likes on your content? and yes like likes can be a vanity metric but i would also argue that if it's the right people who are engaging with you then your impact is rippling out in a really beautiful way because then those people's contacts are seeing your work and beginning to pick up that baton or at least knowing that the baton is there and when something comes up that is maybe not the exact right fit for your mission or your vision you generally know somebody who who is working in that space and so you become like a really great like referral source. You, you create like this ecosystem of, you know, passionate people who you can refer different opportunities to. And, you know, r- relatedly, you have this constant stream of opportunities coming into you, whether that's clients, referral sources, donors, sponsors, you know, people, you know, who want you to be on their podcast, like amplifiers, whatever it is, you have this ecosystem of people who want to support you. And so I think, you know, Instagram is like all about visuals, And I think TikTok is all about like entertainment and fun. And I think the currency of LinkedIn, and that's really like my playground, right? That's like where I'm at. The currency of LinkedIn is relationships. It's community. And so even if it feels quiet, like if you build up a community, your community begins to hype you up and you're not even you, but your mission, your vision, what you're about, what you stand for in rooms that you're not even in. And so your impact becomes exponential. And so- And, you know, it just, the importance of that piece can't be overstated when we're working on issues like anti-racism and mental health or changing the nonprofit landscape because all these really big visions don't get accomplished alone. And as far as how we do it, like you'll laugh because it's actually very simple, but sometimes the hardest things are really simple. You know, we all have people around us that love us and that want to see us succeed. And it's, we don't always even let them know how they can help right? We just kind of like hope that they will or just wait for things to happen. And I think that as we move forward, you know, it's, you know, it's October 22, 2022 as we record this and it's an interesting world. There's economic instability. And so I think it's a really important time to really be building that connective tissue with the people that we are already connected with who we just haven't talked to in a while, right? Maybe we used to see them all the time. Maybe they're an old work wife or a business bestie and we've just, gotten busy, like rebuild that connective tissue, right? Have a coffee chat, engage with each other in the DMs, like, you know, set up a time to meet in person if that's available to you and just really talk about what your visions are for the future and see how those visions can intersect and be aligned and what. Activities can come out of those aligned visions, right? Can you two do a LinkedIn Live together? Can you do a joint venture webinar? Can you be affiliates for each other's work? Can you introduce each other to a really like, you know, perfect person that you each need to meet? Someone might get overwhelmed by hearing that. Do it with like three people. And from that will come really incredible opportunities that just aren't really in the mix right now. You know, and I saw that time and time again as I I fundraised. Like it just takes one conversation to lead to that like amazing possibility that you can't even imagine right now.
0: And you rattled off several of those ways to ask for help. And I think you're also saying, you know, you don't know what's going to come from these conversations or reconnecting in those ways. Just stay open Mm -hmm. to being a resource, being a supporter and a cheerleader and – vice versa. I think everybody, for the most part, wants to see everyone else win. People get a lot out of helping and knowing they're helping someone else. And so I think we're, we're afraid to ask, especially as women. And yet yeah, you've kind of lowered the barrier to entry and just, hey, just reach out, grab a virtual cup of coffee. Yeah. And whenever I've done that, and it's been years and years, it's like oh, I remember why I adored you so much. Not that I forgot. It's just life
1: got in the way. Yeah. and this filled my bucket. Mm, that's 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 exactly it. If nothing else, even if like no business opportunity kind of thing comes from it, like if nothing else it fills up your bucket. It fills up your cup and you just it sometimes it just reminds you why you do the work that you do and that's that's priceless sometimes, right? And all this comes like right when you need it. I think the universe provides <laughs> in that way.
0: It really does. And sometimes we need that especially on the entrepreneurship journey but on just about every journey it's like things can get really lonely and so busy that you realize I haven't extended out and that's why I'm feeling so depleted and defeated I I don't have anyone around me to hype me up Mm,
1: depleted and defeated oh my gosh that was just like a little, that was just a bar right there. I don't. know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we can feel that way, especially after you know, entrepreneurship has been such a journey. I know that we're on this on this ride together. And of course, you know, being in the nonprofit world was also a roller coaster and a journey in and of itself. But I was always automatically around a lot of people, right? I had a team. I was always around a lot of people who I could kind of share that heavy burden with of raising money, fulfilling the mission, like we were working together to make these things happen. And as entrepreneurs, and especially as like solopreneurs and consultants and coaches and service providers, I think that if we're not really intentional about that, it, it can start to... Affect us, especially if we're like introverts. You know, I am a very, (laughs) uh, I'm an INFJ. And so I don't necessarily need to be like around a ton of people, but finding that happy medium so that I have some people to like lift that load with and finding that community of business besties has been really, really, really key. Like, I don't think I could do this entrepreneurship thing without like a certain group of people who don't even necessarily all know each other. Maybe one day I should bring them all together, but, um, yeah, like having our own campfire circle that's just like rooting us on, lifting us up, that we're supporting on their own stuff. You know, that's so key. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And since
0: that was exactly where I wanted to go next is this idea of a campfire circle and how it's a new way of looking at bringing people together, bringing community together, not in a stale boardroom setting, but how did you move into this idea and how does it show up in the work you do? yeah.
1: Thank you for asking me that question. You know, I, it wasn't necessarily a linear process. I don't think most, you know, emer- emergent processes aren't. But I, you know, I, earlier we talked about coming up with your vision. And I think that it's, you know, I think we sometimes want to sit down and just like have it be done. Like we just want to come up with the vision statement and have it be perfect and ready to go. But I think there's a lot of sitting and daydreaming and, um, Feeling and just being that has to happen as we come up with our vision. And so, really, that's what it was about for me. And I think it just came to me as like a download from the universe one day, like in the middle of the night. It was just like, oh, campfire circle. And uh, it just seemed like such a powerful vision of leadership to me because what do we do at the campfire? We share our stories, right? Including the scary ones. Like, we don't just share the happy, you know, pretty stories, we share the scary stories. Um, We huddle together in a community, which is, I think, such an important part of leadership. Um, And there's unlimited seats. Like you can get as many people as you need to because it can get as big as it needs to. You can, you know, double up. You can people can sit on the floor like there's so many spaces so that we can really just gather as an authentic, vulnerable community. And so really kind of the full vision statement around this is. So, like, this is really my vision for the world, for my life, for my professional contributions, for my business. And it's really about like dismantling the boardroom table and reimagining the ultimate space of leadership as a campfire circle where we share our vulnerable stories, build brave communities, and where there's always room. And so, my podcast became like a little uh, way that I get to live that vision, you know, but I think that. Just, you know, as women of color, as as people with any kind of historically overlooked or underestimated identities, showing up and getting visible as a leader, as an expert, as a go-to voice, as an influential authority, um, that can activate the feelings of trying to show up and get visible in spaces where we never really fit in in the first place, like a boardroom table, right? You know, there's only so many seats. We're all fighting for the same one. Once you get there, you're like, I don't really want to be here anyway. And so, you know, the Campfire Circle is really my reinterpretation of that. And the Campfire Circle is also a strategy that I teach because it's it's kind of like, I think it's really important to have a personal board of directors, but I didn't want to call it a board of directors. I wanted to call it something different. And so um, I really call that your internal campfire circle. Like that's something I teach inside the Kindling Collective, my group program. And I'll tell you a little story of why I think that having a campfire circle or a personal board of directors is so important. So years ago, when I was still a nonprofit ED, I made a post that was in support of Planned Parenthood. I had gone to one of their events and I was really fired up about it and I posted a picture and, you know, like the organization that I served, like we had, a, we had a partnership with Planned Parenthood. Like we went to them for different healthcare services, et cetera. And so I just did a really nice post about it. And one of our donors, one of the people who was involved in our organization reached out and said that that was inappropriate. It made her uncomfortable. And she said that she was going to be pulling her funding. And so I wasn't really sure how to respond like right away in that moment. But what I did is I reached out to like this wide variety of mentors and colleagues who all had different perspectives, they all had different politics, they all had different experiences, and they each shared their wisdom with me so I had kind of a soft pad to land on so that I could then decide how I wanted to move forward. And so that was a really great experience because it taught me the importance of building a a campfire circle because you just don't know what you don't know and you don't and you shouldn't be expected to. Like you have to go through stuff to really glean the experiences from them. I and mean, it's possible to know everything. And so by leaning on and really relying on this group of people who can, you know, lift you up and give you wisdom and guide you in the right way. Um, I think that's really important for this this work, for this thought leadership work, because stuff is going to come up. You're going to have a hater show up and say XYZ on your LinkedIn post or call you out in in a crowded room as you're giving like a speech or as you're writing an op ed, someone's going to leave a really hateful comment. And that's just part of this work, unfortunately, because this work is around like disrupting the status quo, right? It's action oriented work around changing the world towards a more just future. And if there's nobody that's hating on what you're doing, then I don't think your vision's big enough, right? Because there's a lot of people out there who want things to stay exactly as they are because it benefits them. So of course, they're going to show up and say different things. But um, yeah, like have your campfire circle around you for when that happens because they're there not just to celebrate you, but but also to give you pearls of wisdom on this journey. So so that's kind of like the full picture of what a campfire circle is to me, right? Like it's my vision for the world that we're creating where we all have our own campfire circle, but it's also a tactic that I kind of teach.
0: It's a really strong tactic. And I think we've, especially if you grew up in the world of work in a, sure, we had a lot maybe around us that knew it. That knew that experience and could be our guides sometimes. And yet, when you get higher and further and your vision gets bigger, that safety net has to be more intentional. It has to be more planned out in terms of who am I going to need when this happens. And I think it's really powerful to think about that upfront and earlier than when you actually are in crisis mode and then you've got that community there to catch you.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I would uh, recommend to people if they're trying to build up their own campfire circle and this particular part can feel uncomfortable, but it's like, who is somebody that you respect who maybe loves you? Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're not, but um, who has a different opinion? Than you on on your vision statement, right? And that because we tend to surround ourselves with an ecosystem of people who are all about our vision, and we should because it requires that community to create the forward movement that we're trying to create and we're looking for. But it's like who who is somebody who has an alternative opinion because they're out there, and if it can be somebody that you can build enough of a working relationship with, so that they can actually share with you like their perspective. Sometimes it just gives you a little bit of a different viewpoint, right? Because we can – a community is really important and it can also be an echo chamber. So what is what is the opinion outside of that and how can you listen to that? Even if you're not going to listen to it in any other way than just knowing what to say when that opposition comes up. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. As a, a recovering people pleaser who mm. <laughs> – Loves to hear people who love what I'm doing and, get, and yet the, the further along I get, the more I realize I need more challengers, but I need challengers who can engage in this discourse in a productive, respectful manner yes. so that when it comes at me in a disrespectful, unproductive manner, at least like you said, I, I've received that messaging before. I can kind of get into my body and be a little less reactive and more just compassionate yeah. of, of the ways that different people see the world because of their very, very unique, nuanced experiences. Did you want to say something? No.
1: There? I just really yes. loved what you said because I think part of the work, a really big part of the work is continuing to change hearts and minds of people who right now are not really sure if they should join our campfire circle, if they like really, you know, cause they have differing opinions, but they're not, but they're also not really sure they're on the fence of a certain issue. And so I think it's really important for us to be consistently, you know, inviting people in. And a part of that is knowing like the whole scope of the issue um, and being able to listen to differing opinions. And so I really love how you framed that. That was a great, that was great
0: going off of what you said. So
1: there's
0: so much here. And what you're doing is so powerful, especially for someone like me and maybe others who are a little more introverted. I like to call myself a a soft-spoken activist because it really does take a lot for me to use my voice and speak truth to power in the moment. But it comes. sometimes it comes from such a primeval place. Mm -hmm. uh, At least for me, I can't avoid saying something but the vision and pushing myself for a more connective tissue to a bigger vision, like that's really motivating in the moment when things get really hard. And then having that community of support to say, I just did a thing. It was so scary. I can't believe it. And there's probably going to be some backlash. <laughs> and can you catch me when I fall or I'm falling right now? And yeah, I got you. And I've been on, on the campfire circle, like outer circle. Yeah, components where I am serving in that role for for people around me, and it feels so good to just be around people who are who have your back and and also want to help you learn from their own trials and tribulations. The power of brave storytelling, as you as you call it, it's like it really makes a huge difference in terms
1: of what we're able to achieve
0: alone or together. Totally.
1: Totally. And you're right. You know, it is such a gift to serve on a campfire circle. I think sometimes people are afraid to reach out and ask for support or help in that way. They might be afraid they're being too much or they just feel silly asking for this type of support officially, right? Because I actually encourage my clients to like officially make an ask. I think back to when I was actually working with a team to grow a board at a nonprofit, right? And it's this whole it's this whole process. There's a subcommittee, like you' and really the, a deep part of the process is figuring out what you have deficiencies in as a nonprofit. Like if you don't have enough attorneys on your board or around you, like look for those attorneys. You know If you're getting ready to do like a big building project, you're going to want contractors and builders and architects on your board or at least an advisory committee, right? So it's that same kind of process. Like what opportunities for growth do you have in your own business in your own way of being? That you're never gonna have yourself. Like you're never just gonna like learn law. You're never just gonna go to law school and like learn how to be a lawyer. So how can you bring in a friend who is a lawyer that is willing to assist you in that way and guide you, and maybe that you hire eventually when you really need like a, a specific scope of work done? But yeah, like surround yourself with people who have that skill set, and then and it's and it's it goes both ways because you have skill sets that um, are gonna support them you know, and it just creates this really beautiful relationship. And actually ask for that, for that new type of relationship. Usually people are really honored to be asked, especially if – because you're not asking strangers, right? You're asking people that you know, that you've had coffee chats with, that maybe you've worked on projects together. And this is a really great way to really build a, a stronger relationship. Ask
0: for help. Build your – well, I love how you said the word ecosystem, but your campfire ecosystem, your campfire circle, and where are – The gaps or where are the deficiencies? Opportunities. I love the word opportunity. Yeah. Where (laughs) are the opportunities for for what I need and what I need right now in this phase and and vice versa? How can I support? Yeah. There's so much wisdom in what you've shared today. I really appreciate everything that you're doing and how you talk about this because it really ultimately impacts that amplification of what we're all able to do And scale. So I want to wrap up with a few quick take questions. The first one being, who trailblazed the path for you, Tanya?
1: Oh, so many people trailed the path, you know, so, so, so many people. Many of whom I'll never know, many of whom I I do know. I think the, the first person that comes to mind is my mentor. Um, her name is Becky. We still talk all the time. But she was my um, boss for most of those years when I was working at the nonprofit. And so she really modeled brave thought leadership. She really modeled sharing her own personal story and professional story. And really, she modeled that um, experience of growing a campfire circle of really strong women around her that lifted her up and that she lifted up in turn when they needed it. She really modeled and mentored a lot of, like, how I think about the world. So, Yeah. I would say Becky. Yeah. Mm, that's wonderful.
0: Okay. What is a book that you've read that changed the way you think about other people and or the world?
1: Mm, these are great questions. I'm such a book reader. Like my eyes are so Bad, like I have such bad eyesight because I would always read in the dark. Like after my parents told me to like go to bed. <laughs> okay, but I have to pick one. Okay, yes. So actually, right now, the book I'm reading right now at the moment, it just came out um, like a week ago, is "Rest Is Resistance" by um, Trisha Hersey, which which is the Nap Ministry on Instagram, and it has just provided such a new insight into the power of rest. Not resting to like be more productive, right? And serve capitalism, but resting because we deserve it, resting because that's our birthright and resting because we are enough right now. And through that rest work can emerge, you know, our our deepest desires and visions for the future that were always there, but they were just like hidden and murky because we were always thinking about like that next thing, more work, how do we make more money? How do we do this and that? I'm not even done yet. Like I'm maybe like, 50 pages in. But it's already been such a paradigm shift for me.
0: I love books like that where you read maybe five pages and you're like, I have to go sit with this for a while. <laughs> so let me take a few days in this process these brand new paradigms. And I was listening to Trisha Hersey on Glennon Doyle's oh, yeah. podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, the other day. So trapping right with you. And then your most recent or as of recording, most recent Campfire Circle episode with Tatiana O'Hara, I remember that correctly, talking about dismantling this hustle culture and how do you actually deactivate the systems that were programmed in us early, early on and have
1: more abundant rest. Oh, Oh, so important. So So important. Uh You know? Yes. So, so good. You know, I as as an aside, you know, this podcast was recorded for ten AM. And so earlier I was like, you know, yesterday I was like, Okay, I want to get up early. I'm gonna do all these things. You no, know, I woke up at nine forty and I feel so well rested and I feel so, you know, I I don't know. I think get the rest where you can. And of course I say that I'm you know, I'm very privileged. Like I had I don't have Children, I have a lot of things that allow me to take my rest. But if you like, get your rest where you can, even if it's like a one-minute daydream right before you're hopping onto something because you can. Mm
0: -hmm. Without guilt. Yeah. I love it. You've got a lot going on. (laughs) But what are some of the things you're most excited about? What? Right now, what are you most excited about? Yeah,
1: you know, I am excited. I'm, you know, I'm really excited about growing my group program into what it's meant to be. I did one on one VIP day work for a very long time. And through that, I like really worked on one very specific transformation for a long time with about 50 social impact leaders. And now I'm taking it into more of like a one to many model. And so I have the Kindling Collective. And it's called that because little. Pieces of kindling can create, like, this really blazing fire, and that's what it takes, right? Bite-sized daily action to get into the space of where we need to be. I'm a big Atomic Habits fan. Like, I think it's these little progressions that get us to where we're meant to be, not these, like, big, ostentatious movement, like you know, things. Anyway. um, So I'm really excited about growing that, right? So I have three women that are going through the program right now. And I just launched it about three weeks ago now. So I'm actually in the process of still building out curriculum. Like I'm building out curriculum. I'm dripping it out. The women are going through the program. And they're, you know, it's such deep heart work and soul work because it's really taking your Deepest passions, the things you're credible in, your lived experience, your story, the things that you have trudged through to now become a guide for other people, and really rooting into that and leading with that, which I think so often people don't do. They'll share how to's or they'll share whatever. But I think as we share our most authentic stories, that is the secret sauce. Like that is where we begin to attract the people we've always been wanting to work with. But that's hard, right? That's hard. And it takes Um, It takes that deep internal work. Like we started to talk about at the beginning of this episode, so it's kind of all full circle. But I'm really excited about growing that into what it is eventually going to be, you know?
0: I love all of the metaphors. I don't even think that's the right word. But the way that you see and frame the way we look at this Mm -hmm. work is this kindling into fire, this this movement into... um, just a really welcoming circle space that also is a little bit of a a horseshoe because more and more people can just come in. It's not closed off. It's open. And then you're a very big Harry Potter fan, just as I am. (laughs) (laughs) Luminous marketing. And so so there's so many things I love about you, Tanya, and the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful that you came on the show. As a final question, where can people find you follow your work, and work with you? Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for that question. Probably the best place is LinkedIn because that's where I, like, hang out. That's – like I mentioned, that's my playground. That's where I put my own thought leadership out into the world. And so you can just find me under my name, Tanya Bhattacharya. And the other place you could find me is my website, which is lumosmarketing.co. And if you go and look at the About section, you'll get to learn a little bit more about the Lumos spell, which is, of course, as you know, Sarah, the spell for illumination. But as I started looking more into the canon and like really reading about the spell Lumos, it's actually also intended to be used to illuminate unseen doorways and entrances, which I like to really geek out on because I think that's what this work of thought leadership and like really getting more visible as a, as a go-to expert does for us. It like illuminates doorways and opportunities that we didn't even know were there, but have been here the whole time. So yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on my website and yeah, that's about, that's about it.
0: Well, there is so much power in that story and the stories you help women bring forth into the world thank you for your work and thank you for being here today oh thank
1: you so much for having me i love this conversation so much and thank you for what you're doing with this podcast it's really really important and necessary
0: thank you for tuning in to this episode of the trailblazing in color podcast if you enjoyed this episode please rate and review the podcast on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you listen don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at in trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast bestie team led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Jean Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad.